The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to Passion tonight after 10.15. It is our LGBTQ panel. We will discuss the aging LGBTQ population, ageism as well, which is discrimination against elderly people and why this is maybe more of a problem in the LGBTQ community. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. All right, first on the text board at 514-800, my girlfriend is a shy person, but in bed, she's the totally opposite and amazing. Is it an insult if I compare some of her behaviors to a porn star? I don't know if it's an insult. I don't know your girlfriend, but why why compare her to a porn star? Why not just tell her how much you love how open she is in bed and how much you love her passion and her excitement that she brings to the bedroom. Just tell her how much you love it. You don't have to compare her to a porn star. And then you might open a door like which porn star and what are you watching? And how, you know, like it, she, maybe she might take it as an insult. Maybe she'll take it as a compliment, but I don't think I would risk it. Just tell her how much you love what she is actually doing. So that's as at least for me, that's as far as uh, as I would go. Five one four eight hundred. If you have a comment, a question, I also get emails to Lori at drlori.com, and I have a few to share here with you. Hi, Lori. I was listening to your show last night and felt sad for the people looking for ways to spice up their relationship. I had that special someone that told me he loved me every day, told me he couldn't wait to see me at the end of each day, and even though he was a busy lawyer called me throughout the day just to say hi, had my back no matter what, said he would marry me all over again. And I returned all of the above as well. We were just meant to be, I guess. Unfortunately, 11 years ago this past November, he passed away shortly after speaking with me from his car of a massive heart attack. He was my best friend, lover, confidant for 14 years, and I miss him dearly. For all of you that are with someone special, please take a moment to say I love you and never mind the small stuff for tomorrow is promised to no one. I like that line. I know that had my husband been alive during the pandemic, he would have said, great, I can spend more time with you. Happy holidays to everyone and give give your loved ones a big hug. That's from Catherine. Thank you. How touching and so sorry for your loss. But you have, look at all these wonderful memories you have of such a good, uh, good relationship. So I'm happy for you with that, but sad for your, uh, the situation, obviously. Uh, you warmed my heart when you read my email the first time, and last night you warmed it again. I could hear in your voice how much it touched your heart and your eyes filled maybe just a little. This is uh, in relation to uh, the the email that I wrote about the uh, about Virginia. Yes, there is a Santa Claus, Virginia. I love my husband and will continue to love him to my last breath. Someone else who lost a husband. My tree is up, lights on outside my home, another candle lit on my menorah, and my husband made sure we had the best of both worlds. Uh, Believe, Dr. Lori, I hope all your listeners believe, regardless of their religion. And if anyone has any doubts 
They just have to read the editorial reply. Lori, if anyone can understand love, it's you. Just for a few minutes, stand and watch children go sit on Santa's lap, the magic that happens. But is it magic or something more? May God bless you, Dr. Lori. You are a Christmas Hanukkah gift that gives all year. That's very sweet. Thank you. Uh, very much. And it was worth reading again. Believe me, it was worth reading again. Texter writes in, every man wants a lady out of the bedroom and a blank in the bedroom. Right. And there's that, uh, certainly that, that expression. This is another email. Over the last few years, you've mentioned several hormones, neurotransmitters, and their significance in couples' sexual health. They are dopamine and oxytocin. Did I miss one of your shows where you discuss vasopressin? Um, stay safe, be safe, and play safe. So just um, vasopressin isn't really involved in the same way as the release of oxytocin and dopamine, the feel-good hormones and the bonding hormone during sexual activity. Vasopressin is a hormone that actually controls uh, different bodily functions in, um, in our body. It's also called the antidiuretic Hormone. So it plays a far more important role in terms of maintaining a body's uh, internal temper temperature, the blood volume, the proper flow of urine from the kidneys, that kind of thing. We all naturally produce vasopressin, yet men experience the effects more strongly because of how it interacts with the male with the, with testosterone, basically the the, the male um, hormone, so uh, it's a it happens in the brain just like many of the other hormones, um, and the things that generally trigger the release of vasopressin are pain, stress, and uh, and certain drugs like like narcotics, for example. So there are uh, definitely. Um, Vasopressin can be used as a drug uh, to help manage certain conditions. So people who are diabetic, for example, or uh, if they've ever been in septic shock, which I wouldn't wish on anybody, uh, it, it can be treated through these vasopressins. So they're not really, I don't talk about them because they're not really related um, directly with um with sexual activity. So I hope, I hope that kind of answers your question. Uh, another texter, Hey, Miss Lovely Dr. Petito, I'm a huge fan about the guys with penis pimples. This again, uh, my question is, I have a long slender penis. I have hair follicles on my testicles and shaft, none on the head. They're hair follicles or am I nuts? No, you're right. These are hair follicles. And sometimes if you shave or you wax or you do something, you can get tr like hair follicles that are kind of uh, trapped there or develop a, a little bit of, a, of an infection or a pimple or uh, what have you. Texture writes in, and I love this, do not ever for any reason take your partner for granted. Thank you for that reminder. We often need to be reminded of this because especially when we are with people over the long term, we have a tendency to become very complacent and we stop making efforts. We stop making efforts sometimes at 
even looking good for our partner, or um, we we don't tell them how much we appreciate the things that they do uh, for us, that we don't appreciate their presence. We do, we just don't say it, and we need to be able to say it because then otherwise it does feel like, well, you're just taking all of this for granted. You know, saying thank you for a wonderful uh, meal, saying thank you for keeping the house clean, if that's something, Whatever it is, verbalizing is really, really important in uh, any relationship. So always ask yourself, what did I say something nice to my partner today? Did I say a word of gratitude to my partner today as a reminder every day? Coming up, uh, our LGBTQ panel discusses ageism. We'll discuss conversion therapy here in Quebec. What are, are the laws? I think they've been changed. to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight, it is our LGBTQ feature once a month. We focus on LGBTQ issues. And before I introduce my guest, let me just share with you one of our poems that, uh, well, from the Passion Poet. I wrote poems for The View, Kink Panel, and others, but never wrote one for the LGBTQ. Fair is fair. But I write this with a disclaimer. The Passion Poem is a straight, somewhat biased male, and it is written in fun, not meant to offend. So I'm going to share it because people like to hear his poems. Tonight is for all listeners but we we will chalk the other end of the queue. We will flip the playing table over and hear from the LGBTQ. L is for lesbian and G is for gay, B is for bi and T, trans, changing their way. Q is for questioning, exploring a new frontier or the other gay word we come to know as queer. No matter your sexual preference, no matter your personal opinion, we are all part of one community, no need for any division. Freedom of speech is everyone's right. You don't have to agree with what one may say, you can choose to rise up and argue or just go on your merry way. There will always be opposing views that is part of evolution. If we all have a little empathy, we will always find a solution. So I really appreciated that and which is why I wanted to read it. So joining us tonight is uh, one of our regulars, Bill Ryan, who is a McGill social work professor, longtime LGBTQ activist, who is also uh, a psychotherapist in private practice, has done research on the elders, uh, the elderly in the queer community over many years as well. And joining us for the first time is Ryan Backer, who is uh, trans, non-binary, and identifies as F2X. Yes, he'll tell us what all that means. Uh, they work professionally to address and dismantle ageism, discrimination on the basis of age. So it's uh, yeah, this is widespread, not just to the LGBT community, but uh, they also run uh, intergenerational events for the Montreal queer community. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Ryan, before, just to explain for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the terminology that I just used to describe you, can you describe for our listeners how you identify? Sure. So the FTX stands for female to X. And in Canada, it's lucky because you, on your passports, you're able to use gender X now. So I don't know how much of that I need to explain, but essentially when I was born, I was assigned female at birth. Okay. 
And over the years, I've transitioned to M. And so on most of my documents, it says M. That doesn't feel quite right. So I went with X. So I'm non-binary. So the F didn't feel right and the M didn't feel right. And so I'm somewhere in the middle. And that's Does that make what- sense? It makes sense to me. I just want to make sure it makes sense to to our listeners as well. Uh, so when because bi- non-binary is is a term that is relatively new ish. Uh, so and some of our maybe older listeners don't quite uh, aren't quite familiar with it. So I think it's important to be able to talk about that and what that actually means. But I think you described it well. You don't exactly fit with M male, F female. So. And our government has actually included an X for non-binary, right? Exactly. Yeah. When I when I was younger, I saw the term gender queer, and I identified with that. And then as I got older, people started using non-binary, so I started using that too. Right. Uh, and I think that shows the evolution of uh, well, our the language that we use, but also the evolution of the queer in general umbrella community to, um, I don't know, why are the labels so important? Maybe we can ask that. (laughs) Who wants Uh, to answer that? (laughs) I vote Bill. Maybe Bill can as a professor. You tell us, Bill. Well, I think labels are important um, because they help people to understand themselves and they help people explain themselves to others. And secondly, I think that, you know, as acceptance increases, then labels become less important Mm. because we don't need to stand apart from one another when we don't experience the, the, the asymmetrical rights and privileges in society. So, you know, there, there's, there's a very important purpose for labels, but ultimately I think the long-term goal is, is that we don't need to identify people by them when no one discriminates against someone because of Mm. them being other than the norm. Right. That's a, a very good point. And, and I'd, I'd just like to say that uh, it's, it's, it's nice to have another Ryan on the show for once. And, <laughs> and, and Lori, can I explain how we met? Sure, of course. Um, we actually um, met around planning a conference, an intergenerational conference for queer youth and elders that was held on oh, Zoom wow. out of Montreal through the group Gay and Grey, where, the, where Ryan and I were the um, speakers and uh, I guess I was the old one, and he was the young one. So you were and the they gray. were the young one. They were the young <laughs> one. And right. um, the uh, but we had the opportunity to um, interact, you know, with a, I think a probably sixty or seventy people from different ends of the spectrum with different experiences of life, which I thought Amazing. was very enriching. It absolutely is. And one thing I love about, let's say, um, you know, the West Island LGBT Center is that they often do events where because they have a seniors group and then, of course, they have they they cater to mostly youth, but they bring it all together. Uh, And I think it's so important for young people to speak to the older generations as well. There's such rich history there. Bill, you and I have talked a lot about the, the, the long history and, and the fights that you as a gray gay, <laughs> I'm going to call you that for now on, um, you know, has been able gray, to describe. Gray-ing, gray-ing, please. <laughs> gray-ing gay. <laughs> right. 
so of course, um, there's so much to talk about. I never know like quite what, what but I, I do want to talk about ageism because it is something both of you have uh, worked on or and have researched and talked about and, and what have you. And I know that there is a problem as our population is aging for especially the queer aging population who have even less resources. So maybe I want to bring this to light. And actually, let me just share a text because this will fit right into the subject. I remember watching a documentary about 25 years ago, bringing to light the complications of gay seniors facing discrimination and bullying by caregivers and residents who had prejudice towards them. I was horrified. How would I fit in when I was their age? But hopefully as the generations move on, the bigotry fades away more and more. I wish I could recall the name of the video. So I don't know if either of you know know what he's uh, this person's talking about but um let's talk about that let's talk about the discrimination especially for uh, against gay uh seniors now that see when we're we are not face to face it's hard to know right you're you're all looking who's gonna talk first bill you go i guess i don't know you guys decide (laughs) i i i'll start off but i i'd really like to hear about ryan's work and the projects that they are involved in because i think they're very innovative and so i'll just start off by saying that um the experience of a certain um age group that we would call you know the the elders of the elders today um, about being LGBTQ was very, very different than what someone who might be 18, 19, or 16 today would experience. And it, w- it was a really a different world and mm. a world where you had to hide and a world where you were in fear for your job and a world where you would be put in prison or in psychiatric hospitals. And um, when, um, when they were in need of care and elder care or... Um, residences for elders, um, those who had ventured even the, the, the smallest wee bit out of the closet in their personal lives um, were, for the most part, forced to go very back deep into the closet because of discrimination and care. And it was a very real discrimination. We documented, starting about 25 years ago, the, the really horrible experiences of people having to hide their relationships and and hide who they were and often live very solitary lives because they did not want people to find out about their sexual orientation or gender identity because they were afraid that if they were found out, they would experience even more discrimination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think that the generation growing up today or even the generation I'm in for the most part would accept that kind of treatment because we lived in a different world. But there's still, you know, the, the eldest of the elders lived their their youth and young adulthood in a time of great great repression mm, absolutely yeah ryan um what about you your your work with this population yeah so i'll start off by just saying that i am a trans person who studied aging and definitely worked a, a good deal with this population of lgbtq seniors um but I don't, I, I'm not as knowledgeable as I would like to be about the discrimination um, that older LGBTQ people face when they're in congregate care settings. It's something that right. I 
would like to know more about. And I think it's, it is a common, it, it's a pretty common narrative to hear about, right? Like the right, person right. having to go back into the closet. And, and I we think need, that's, I think sorry. it's important to talk about, but I think that there's, there's things beyond that that I'm really interested in. So, well, the, and sorry, Ryan, I want to make sure you have all the time to speak about this. We have to take a, a short break for our news, but uh, yes, I want to talk about the, the elements that you are interested in that you are researching in. And of course we need more research in, in this area. There's no, mm-hmm. no question about it. Not only research, but we need uh, programs of, of sensitization to the people who work in those places. Uh, more with our LGBTQ panel, and uh, we'll talk, find out about projects for the aging gay population and much more with Ryan Backer and Bill Ryan here on the program. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight on the program, we are talking about the aging gay population and some of the issues uh, that uh, they are facing. My guest tonight, uh, regular Bill Ryan, who is a, a McGill social work a professor. He is a, a longtime LGBTQ advocate, activist, and a psychotherapist and a researcher. We have Ryan Backer, who uh, works as well to address and dismantle ageism, which is discrimination on the basis of age, and runs some programs, intergenerational programs, which we will find out about. So uh, we were talking just before the break about some of these uh, issues besides the long-term care, which we brought up and in terms of uh, them uh, often going back into the closet for fear of discrimination. And I'm sure it happens. And I know we need a lot more desensit, like we need education uh, for workers and people who run, uh, run these. And I have actually uh, had these discussions with some uh, heads of, of some seniors' residences, and they some of them do talk about it, which I think is a good thing. So there's still work to be done, though. Uh, so what are some of the things that you want to highlight, Ryan? Well, I have a, a resource and an anecdote to add to the long-term care discussion. And the resource is a state-based organization called SAGE, mm-hmm. and it stands for Services and Advocacy for GLBT Elders. And it's and it's a really great resource, and I'd recommend anyone uh, to look up that organization. And okay. as far as I know, it's not international, but I would love to see uh, something similar up here in Canada. Absolutely. Um, and the anecdote I have, sorry? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So the anecdote I have is a colleague of mine who was working with people living with dementia in San Francisco. Uh, she has this story about this older man who actually forgot that he had come out. Oh, wow. Gay. And he okay. was, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a living, in a long-term care facility in the early 2000s, forgot that he had come out as gay and had the experience of getting to come out again in San Francisco in the early 2000s instead oh. of in the 1940s in the Midwest where he was from. 
I'm sure the reception was very different. <laughs> exactly. And they really went with it. You know, it's, it's just such, I just love that story because it kind of puts a balance to the experience of, of, of people in, in these settings, because I think there are a lot of success stories that we need to talk about. But what I like to think about and talk about is the culture at large and how mm-hmm. these long-term care settings are just a reflection of an overall culture. And I think there is a double stigma, at least a double stigma against older LGBTQ folks because they are dealing with whether it's homophobia or transphobia, but also they are dealing with ageism. Right. And also they are less likely to, let's say, maybe have children to advocate on their behalf or a a support network that isn't there. Uh, So they're more likely, I believe, to, to be single and living alone. That's exactly right. It's it's very true, and I've I've seen it with my own eyes. Yes, I've seen isolated older people from this population, and and the 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 entire culture around long term care and around not even just long term care, the entire culture around caring for olders is based off of the heteronormative assumption that people are going to have kids to take care of them right. when they're older. Quite, uh, quite true. Now I know, uh, and things are changing, thankfully. And, and, and as Bill pointed out, we are of a generation, Bill and I, where, uh, by the time we get into to be the elders of the elders, um, we'll have more of a voice, I think. And the, the general culture may, will probably, and it's changing, so we know it, and hopefully by then it will change a lot. Bill, are you hopeful? <laughs> oh, oh, very much so, because I know that, you know, um, people who have been brought up in an age of human rights um, know that human rights exist and know that there's recourse for discrimination. Of course, the more one is vulnerable in society, the more difficult it is to access recourse, but it is there, and accompanying that also is the notion that um, an awful lot of um, facilities for seniors or elders, depending on which term you use, those who need care, have actually taken training and um, have staff that mm-hmm. 40 or 50 years ago would not have been out, but now is out in those environments, making sure that um, people are sensitive to the issues in a way backed by unions that could never have happened before. <laughs> So there is a lot happening, and there's a fairly big um, movement based in Montreal. I can't think of the English acronym, but in French it's pour que vieillir soit gay. So Mm -hmm. one can age gaily. Gaily, right. Using the French French sort of meaning for gay and happiness. Right, right, right. And they have done an awful lot of training. It's run through um, Fondation Emergence, and um, they've been funded by both the provincial and federal governments to do sensitivity training in elder care facilities and among caregivers on sexual orientation and gender identity and actually have um, proposed what they call a charter of rights for elder Mm -hmm. LGBTQIs. And um, hundreds of facilities have signed on to this and post the charter of rights on their websites or in their public spaces. 
Wow. That's amazing. Like that, uh, that is amazing. Now, anecdotally, I can tell you this, that over the last few years, I've gone into seniors, I've been invited to give talks on sexuality and aging in many, um, either uh, seniors care facilities or retirement homes or what have you. And I always, in my presentation, always talk about this, the LGBTQ population, right? And I talk about ageism and I talk about all of this and just to look in the room, the reactions where a lot of people are nodding and they're Mm -hmm. saying it's true. So you're, um, the response from the older crowd, I think is surprising, was surprising to me. And I know within the crowds, there probably have been, you know, there are some LGBTQ uh, people. So it so well received is what I really want to say. So that it is something that is being talked about more. And the older population are, are no fools. Like they pay attention to the news. They are, uh, some of them may have uh, grandchildren and, and so these issues are still uh, are present, like they're hearing about it. So I am seeing a difference. Of course, I wasn't there 40 years ago, but I can't compare. But this is that's my own experience uh, with this. Uh, coming up, I, I do want to, I mean, I want to continue talking about this, but there is, uh, I think it's official now that uh, Canada has banned uh, conversion therapy. So it's something I want to talk to uh, Ryan and Bill about. with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. It's our LGBTQ panel tonight, trying to cram in a lot of information in very little time. We have Bill Ryan with us. He is a graying gay man. (laughs) Sorry, I had to put that in there, Bill. (laughs) He is a social worker, a McGill social work professor uh, and longtime LGBT activist, uh, psychotherapist, researcher. We also have Ryan Backer, who is a trans nine, non-binary individual who has uh, created, runs workshops for, um, I guess, intergenerational workshops or for the aging population. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing for the population. Sure. So I started my workshops uh, just wanting to do workshops to educate people about ageism. And I realized, okay, who will I feel most comfortable giving these workshops to? Mm -hmm. And I realized it was other queer folks. So I designed this workshop called Age Queer and started presenting it. And it was really fun because I got to essentially make this workshop along with the people that I was presenting it with when I first started. And it it really had to do with queering the idea of age, because I think there's just so much rigidity that comes along with the idea of aging that Mm. throwing in the idea of being able to queer that concept just kind of loosened people up and just got people thinking like, oh, why, why do I have so many hangups about getting older? (laughs) <laughs> and it was a really fun way to um, to do that. So it's it's grown, and now I'm presenting it in a few different ways to talk about age pride and to talk about, um, yeah, just the experience of, of, of ageism for everyone, not just now I, I present to straight people too. Right. That's Well, that's great. I, I, listen, the aging population is a neglected 
cohort, I have to tell you. So I love myself too. love giving workshops on, I give workshops on safe sex to the elderly population when we know, yes, because we know the rates of STIs rises for, you know, past 65, people are getting it on in these residences. Uh, so it's, it is important to talk about that and to talk about condom use. And I bring in and de- do demos and, and they really, really appreciate it. So I, I, I'm with you on that, that it's, it's really fun to be able to work with this population. I just think it's an underserved population in so many areas and, and do very much to uh, ageism and, and many other factors. Now, I just want to switch gears a little bit. Um, Bill, can you talk talk to us about where this conversion therapy business is at here in Canada and Quebec, because we hear about it in North America and other countries, but what about here? Well, Quebec actually um, passed a law uh, last week, I believe, banning conversion therapy and making it I- illegal um, after you know years of lobbying from within the community. And um, on the federal level, uh, I believe the bill is at the third reading, which means it will go um, for the signature of the governor general after being passed in the Senate <clears throat> fairly soon, um, which will mean that uh, ultimately it makes conversion therapy then illegal right across Canada and all provinces and territories. So this is a really uh, a really momentous change, one that we have been lobbying for for years and will mean that um, particularly younger people will no longer be subject to forced treatments or um, uh, treatments um, that are non-consensual within um, medical or religious organizations. Mm -hmm. How how prevalent though, like uh, how prevalent is conversion therapy? Like how many people are actually practicing this? Um, What is the state of that up till now? It seems to have shifted in the last 20 years or so from the medical establishment, which increasingly condemned it, even though you could find practitioners in psychology, psychiatry, sexology, you'd have to hunt for them. But you could find practitioners who, even though they wouldn't call it necessarily conversion therapy, were practicing generally the same thing. But um, in the last 20 years, it shifted often into uh, right-wing religious movements and um, that will also be uh, illegal to practice. And that's primarily where it seems to be now that parents will send their children when they're um, gender non-conforming or when they come out to them as gay, lesbian or uh, bi and um, will force treatments on them. And this now can be considered to be a criminal act within Quebec and soon um, federally as well. Mm, I just hope it doesn't like go underground or, I mean, already I think it's a little bit underground, but, uh, but it's the same people who are also against uh, pornography and, you know, all these things. So we always find, and you've said it before that uh, people who are- Women's rights, LGBTQ rights, yes, reproductive rights, they all kind of come from, often come from the same mindset. Right. And I do know that I hope, I really hope that there are no uh, people in my profession, our profession that uh, are practicing this kind of thing, even though I, I, if there was a, a father once who sent me his uh, teenage son asking me to, um, didn't say the word convert, but basically 
like take the gay away, you know? <laughs> right. Well, one of the French TV networks um, started this debate off in French in Quebec a few years back uh, when they went underground and they went actually into churches that were offering healing. And um, the, the sessions were conducted sometimes by social workers and sometimes by psychologists, and sometimes by nurses. Now, they weren't doing it within the framework of their profession within the church, but what they were doing would mean that they should be um, uh, removed, kicked out of their professional orders. Absolutely. And, and the professional orders all took a very strong stand after this came out in the media, saying that any members of any of the helping professional orders in Quebec that practice this um, would be removed as professionals from their, from their membership. Right. So now it but makes it, did, it, it was underground and it was often within right wing Christian churches. Right. Well, I'm for one, I'm very happy that that is now on the books officially uh, in Quebec. So uh, just as we uh, tie up the show, Ryan, if people want to attend workshops, are you offering workshops online? Like how can people find out more about the work that you're doing? Sure. So I have two websites that you can go to. Um, I need to maybe be better at updating the one. It's called ageactivism.com, and that's my personal website, but I'm spending all of my time running oldschool.info, www.oldschool.info, and my face is on there, Ryan Backer, (laughs) and you can email me, and I will send you any info that you want uh, regarding uh, future workshops. I have one coming up on June 4th, actually based in Berlin. So oh, wow. it's cool in, in COVID times that I can do that. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I'm going to put that link up on our podcast uh, description. So if people uh, want to uh, you know, download that or, or at least look at it, they, they can. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being here and enlightening yeah. us and talking about such an important issue. Uh, Bill Ryan, Ryan Backer, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you thank so you. much. Happy holidays, right. everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Happy holidays. Take care now. Uh, thank you all for tuning in tonight. Do appreciate it. Thanks to our technical producer, Chris Akins. You can connect with me uh, through my website, drlaurie.com, where you'll also find the podcast of all the past shows. If you click on the Passion Radio uh, tab, uh, if you have the iHeart app, you can also find a podcast on the CJD page. Coming up next, uh, right here, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.